Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Though he had done so many, th- so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. For I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, good morning. It's good to be with you. If you are a guest with us today, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor of discipleship here, and I'm looking forward to walking through this passage that you just heard read. As a church, we continue in this Gospel of John that we've been in for many months now. As we walk through and we see Jesus' life and his ministry, and now we come to a pretty pivotal place too. There's all of these different pivots that come with Jesus' ministry, and What we see here, whether you knew it or not, these are the final words that we have of Jesus' public ministry. After this, he goes into retreats, essentially into hiding with his disciples as he prepares and the disciples prepare for the cross. And so the title of this sermon is Final Words, and what I know is that final words, there's something powerful about them, there's something important about them, there's something meaningful there. I remember when I graduated high school and I was getting ready to go off to college, someone at the church gave me a Bible and they wrote on the inside these words for me, essentially their their final charge to me. And it was this idea that um, this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And I was like, wow, those are powerful words. But final words, they do, they carry this power in them. When I do a wedding, at the end of the wedding, I give a charge to the bride and groom, essentially, hey, don't forget this, remember this, take this with you. Some of you are going on summer trips that maybe you intended to take a year ago, but you're just taking now, or you haven't seen family for so long, or friends for so long, and and now when you get ready to leave or to go, maybe the words that you share, the emotions that you share, the things that you say, they carry a little bit more weight to them. Because final words essentially translate into, don't forget this, remember this, this is important. 
from someone you love or to someone you love, these words express a deep feelings, desire, maybe even a warning, a concern, a heartfelt emotion and affection. And as you're going to see today in these final words of Jesus' public ministry, sometimes all of the above. And so there's no real dramatic setup for today because I'll be honest, it wouldn't do this passage justice. This passage is dramatic enough on its own. It would only do it an in-service, a disservice. So as Jesus, the one who we've seen through this Gospel of John, turn water into wine, he's healed people, he's literally brought the dead back to life, he now pleads with us in his final words of his ministry. A simple and yet not so simple question comes to the surface. And this is our big idea for today, or really just a big question, and it's this for us to all think about. Will you believe? Will you believe? Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive deeper into this passage for the next few minutes. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for being the word, and I pray that for all of us in here, no matter where we're coming from, no matter where, where we're, what we're coming in with, that you would soften us, that you would allow us to hear from you, that you would speak to us at, at every age, in every place, that we would have ears to hear and a heart to receive, ultimately, you. And so, Jesus, we give you this time. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move. Father, we pray that you would be glorified, and we pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're actually going to start with the second half of this passage, and then we're going to end with the first half. So don't freak out when we do this. I know it's different. I know it's scary. That's what we're going to do. And I think as we go through this, it'll actually make sense why we're doing that. So as I said, these are the last words of Jesus publicly that we have. Um, John shares these in chapter 13 on he's only with his disciples as he's preparing himself and he's preparing his disciples for what's in front of him, the cross. And so it says he retreats. So before we look at this, let's look back at verse 36, which really sets this up. It says, put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid, them, hid himself from them. So Jesus is in hiding. We don't know exactly for how long. We know that he's with his disciples. And so John does the talking in verse 37 through 43. And then, without any mention of a specific setting, of a specific time, or of a specific audience, John shares with us in verse 44 these words from Jesus, these incredibly important words. And so here's what it says. And Jesus cried out and said... I want you to think of maybe your favorite movie, right? And maybe it's uh, got a little bit more action in it. Essentially, it builds to this climax, right? And that's exactly what we see here is verse 44 goes straight to this climax of Jesus' ministry as Jesus cries out, as he pleads, as he shares these important things. So these are essentially summary words of Jesus' entire ministry. Don't miss this, that go beyond a time, that go beyond a place, that go beyond a certain group of people. Critical, important, final words. He cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me 
Seize him who sent me. What Jesus is getting at is you can't have God without Jesus. He's saying there's no other way. And a lot of times there's a temptation maybe to get to God through another way. And he's saying, no, 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 it's only through me. Jesus essentially re-emphasizes that I and the Father are one. You can't have one without the other. So it's only through me. And he gives his purpose. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me won't remain in darkness. We see this idea of light throughout the Gospel of John. That Jesus is light. That God is light. That the world is in darkness. Maybe a way to think of this is sort of like a dark burning building that we find ourselves in and we're circling around and we're trying to figure out how to get out and it gets hotter and we can't see straight and Jesus essentially rushes in, but he not only rushes into us, he also carries us out to safety. That's the picture here, that he is this light. What he's getting at is he's pleading, I've come to save you. I've come to give you life back. Listen to me. I've come to save you from your sin. I've come to save you from the lies that the world gives you. I've come to save you from these lies of identity. I've come to save you from the anxiety, from the tension, from the terror. I've come to save you from all of these things, like a light in the darkness. Then he shares this next section. Look for the emphasis here. He says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them. I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. One who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me as himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that the commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. These emphasis on Jesus' words, what he's speaking, what he's saying, that Jesus knows where he's headed. He knows what's in front of him. And essentially, this is sort of like a bedside moment. Maybe you've had those. Those can be tough, where somebody's coming toward the end of their life and they invite in family or friends to essentially share these last things. I love you. I want you to hear this. I want to share this with you. This is important. Come close. Listen. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, will you believe my words? Will you believe what I've said about who I am, about who the Father is, about how much I love you, that I came to save you, not to condemn you, Will you believe that I actually hold the keys to eternal life? Will you believe that my way is better than your way or better than their way or better than the world's way? Will you hold tightly to my words? Will you not forget my words? Will you take these words with you? In John 6, it says that Jesus' words are filled with spirit and life. And we see also from his disciples, they say, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And these words of God has the power to save. And so will you believe, is what Jesus is getting at, that my words are true, that I am the light, that I do have the power to save. And this concludes what we know of Jesus' public ministry. 
with these summary words that John gives us here. Powerful words. A pleading from the big brother that loves you, that's representing the father, that wants to have you as a part of the family. And so now we go back to the first half, and just as Jesus pleads with us to believe, what we see is that John gives us a sober reality of unbelief. And so as we look at these next verses, whether you have a relationship with Jesus or you don't, this is, this is for all of us, ask this question. Where is God asking me to believe, and what will that look like? Here's what it says in verse 37. John's telling us this. Though he had done so many signs before them, think of all the signs. And we know that the book of John didn't even record all the signs. Remember at the end it says Jesus did so many things like the number of books in the world couldn't contain all of these. We just get a snippet of what Jesus did during his time in his ministry. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. John 1, 11, remember at the beginning it says he came into the world and his own received him not. And so John shows us why much of Israel rejected Jesus and why this still happens today. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, in turn, I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I want to be really honest. This is weighty. This is one of the weightiest passages in the Bible, in my opinion. It's a tough passage. And it's hard to read this. To think that in God's good plan, hearts will be hardened, eyes will be blinded. So what do we do with this? You can just skip over it. Maybe that's easy to do, but we don't want to do that. (laughs) Because this is the words of God. So what does this mean? What do we do with this? Because also in 2 Peter 3.9, it assures us that God doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So how does this all work out? How are hearts hardened and eyes blinded? How does that work out with a good God? That's a good question to ask, not to hide away from that. And guess what? He's a God that can handle that. I love that John mentions Isaiah here, because although we need to admit that we don't know everything God knows, because we're not God, We don't know how all of this completely works out because we're not God. We're glad that he is. (laughs) It does give us some clarity on how this hardening and blinding happens, and that's really intentional. And So don't don't miss this. Here, I'm just going to read it um, quickly here. Verse 38 refers to Isaiah 53, 1 through 2. Hear these words. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. And then in verse 40, he's talking about Isaiah 6, 1 through 3. It says, I saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. 
With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So how are they blinded? How are their hearts hardened? We see three things. By Jesus' lowliness, his holiness, and his glory. Essentially pointing to this big idea that Jesus is not who they want him to be. And the holiness he calls them to requires more than they're willing or want to give. And this is true for today. And as we see in the last verses, they would rather have their own glory, the approval of others, rather than bend their knee to God's glory. It says that they believed in him. So they believed, yeah, he is. uh, We think he is the son of God. But they wouldn't give their lives to him because it would cost too much. And there's a big difference there. So how do we see through this lens of Isaiah how God blinds eyes and hardens hearts? Not to oversimplify it, but here's how. He sends Jesus. Let me explain this for a second. He sends Jesus, a lowly servant without an earthly throne, completely holy, pointing out that we're not, calling us to the same and full of unmatched glory that our flesh really wants. Charles Spurgeon has this great quote that explains this a little bit more. It says, The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. So think about this. Think of God as the sun. And if you're a Christian, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're you're like the wax. Under the sun, under the love of Jesus, your heart melted and his grace was irresistible. It drew you in. It warmed your heart as you believed, yes, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you do have the words of eternal life. I don't know exactly how this was stirred up in me, but I believe. The second half of this quote says, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. For someone who wants nothing to do with God, who doesn't have a desire for Jesus, what it's getting at here is that the son further hardens what's already there. Is this easy to completely absorb? No. Should this place a burden on our hearts for those who are far from Jesus? Absolutely. Because God's desire is that all would turn and come to him. And many do, and yet some want nothing to do with Jesus. And the son further hardens what's already there. And so how do we respond to this? Here's what I want to tell you. As Christians, this is intended to lead us into a healthy reflection on the state of our heart and life and relationship to Jesus. It's not intended to scare us or make us doubt our salvation, which is how I interpreted this as a child. When I would read passages like this, scared out of my mind, would go home, would pray a hundred times, hope that one of those prayers took, right? And, and then went on my way. And this happened over and over and over and over because I didn't fully understand grace. I didn't understand that it wasn't me reaching up, trying to grasp a God, but it was fully him reaching down that pulled me out of the pit, right? 
And so this is not intended to scare us, make our doubt of salvation, which it can. Did I really believe enough? Do I really believe enough? What if I messed up too much? Or, or do I need to pray again for salvation? Or, or maybe I messed up the first time that I came to him. The very fact, hear this, the very fact that we can become so concerned over the state of our salvation is a good sign of our salvation and a relationship with Jesus. Don't miss that. Although imperfect, And even at the times that we're resistant and we push away, which we do. People who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who don't want a relationship with Jesus, who have no desire for that, usually aren't too worried over these things. So here's some good news. I feel like we need it. This is weighty. This is heavy. But it's also good for us. Here's some good news. If you embrace the grace of Jesus, you don't have a hard heart. But we still have pieces and places in our heart and in our life that need to be further softened. Places where we are resistant. Places where we do want to sort of take the reins. Places where we believe, if we're honest, that we can do it better than God can do it. (laughs) Places where we do want man's glory. And that means something to us. And it's really hard to shake that. Where we want people to see us in a certain way. Or we've maybe built up or somebody's built up a false identity for us. And we're striving after that even, we, even though we know that Jesus offers us a far better identity in himself. We all have these places where we're still hesitant to bend the knee, to fully believe, to fully trust. You know, one of my favorite parts, actually I'll just say it, my favorite part of the services when we do these each week, when we come together, is the part of confession and the assurance of pardon. Because I get to see what you don't. When I do this, when I'm up here, I get to see your faces. And here's what I mean by that. I get to see your face as you melt under the grace of Jesus. It's like your shoulders release some tension. Some of you, I even see a smile come over your face. Why, Why is that? Because you feel the freedom to share where you've fallen short, where you're imperfect, where you've messed up, where you've even intentionally rebelled against God, and then embrace his forgiveness, his love, and his kindness. And it's such a beautiful piece of what we do. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, what should our response be to this? Well, first, gratitude. (laughs) Thank you for softening my heart. Thank you that you want me to be a part of your family. Thank you that I'm in your family. I know sometimes I'm wild in your family, but thank you for for letting me in. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. And out of that heart of gratitude comes honesty and humility. What are the places in my life that I don't want to listen to you, Jesus? What are the places in my life where I have a hard time handing over to you, trusting you, really, really believing in you? Where's my heart grown a little bit cold to you? And it needs to be warmed. Cold toward others. And it needs to be warmed. Where is God asking you to believe and trust? Here's what I also want you to hear. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, one, you're absolutely welcome here. You always are. Maybe you've come to church a hundred times, a thousand times, but you know deep down, yeah, I've never really given my life over. I've really been resistant I've even tried to push out that thought of Jesus. I've I've just kind of been resistant to it. Here's what I would say to you. When you hear the words 
about him being the son of God who has come to bring you out of darkness and into the light because he loves you. What keeps you from believing? What's keeping you from believing in him? Maybe you thought that Jesus really doesn't care about you. Seriously, because maybe somebody else in your life has shown that they don't care as much as they should. Um, maybe you've seen Jesus or you've seen God as maybe not a great father. Because maybe you've had somebody in your life, an authority figure who hasn't been a great father, mother, or, or leader in your life. And it's affected the way that you see God. Maybe you've only seen him as a judge waiting for you to mess up so he can strike you down. Maybe for the first time you're hearing, no, God actually loves you. He embraces you. He wants you to be a part of the family. Just as Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save you. I came to give you life. If he's opening your heart, if he's moving it all within you, don't stand at a distance. Come to him just as he invites. He'll take you as you are, absolutely all of you, all of the broken pieces, all of the rigid pieces, and he will give you new life. And belief manifests itself not only inwardly, but also outwardly. Here's what I mean by this. Will you believe not just for ourselves, but those around us who are far from Jesus? Will we be so bold to believe that prayer actually matters? Will we be so bold to believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to soften hearts, to make blind eyes see. And some of you know this very well. You look back at your life and you say, I can't believe that I'm a Christian today. I can't believe what Jesus did in my life. If you would have known me five years ago, if you'd have known me five days ago, if you'd have known me back then, it's a miracle that I'm here today. It's a miracle what Jesus did in my life. That should lead us to understand that Jesus can and is still doing miracles all around us. And he calls us to be a part of it. So would we believe not just for ourselves, but for those around us in our neighborhoods as we go about this week, as we have kids camp this week, would we believe that every kid in there that doesn't know Jesus, that he wants to have a relationship with them? Would we believe not only for ourselves, but would we believe for those around us? And would it lead us to pray with earnestness, to pray without ceasing? And would it also lead us to believe that God can use imperfect people with imperfect words to open up our mouth and to tell them about him? Would we believe? Jesus was despised and rejected, so you wouldn't be. It's good news. Jesus didn't just speak these words. He backed them up all the way to the cross. So maybe you're still wondering how much God really cares about you, how much he really wants to know you. Maybe you're still a little bit doubtful that he came to save you, that he loves you. And if you're doubting, and when you doubt, let me remind you, this is how much Jesus loved you. Before you ever cared about him, before you ever thought about him, and he still loves you just as much today. These words from Isaiah 53 that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carries our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but out of his love he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus is asking today, no matter where you are, no matter what you came in with, no matter what state of a relationship with him or not you're in, will you believe? Because I really love you. I really care about you. And you can trust me. I've made a way for you to experience the peace, the joy, the life that your heart longs for. And I made it with my very life. Will you believe? Jesus, thank you for giving us the opportunity to believe. Thank you for the miracles that you've done in this room of softening hearts, of bringing those who are so far from you into the family. Thank you that you don't hold us to a standard of perfection that we could never meet, that you aren't looking to strike us down with every mistake we make, but instead, God, that you saw it fit to send your son, your only son, your beloved son, to take our place, the perfect, the spotless, the unblemished lamb that quietly was led to the cross. Not for his own sake, but for our sake. The blemished, spotted, beat up, wounded, angry, lost sheep. God, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. It's your love that brings us home. It's your grace that cleans us up. For anyone who has never trusted in you, Jesus, would today be the day of celebration in here as it is in heaven? Simply surrendering, giving you our worst, taking your best. Jesus, for those of us that are a part of the family that, that you've softened, that you've, you've brought to you, may we still be honest and open, filled with gratitude, saying, Jesus, where, where am I struggling to still believe? Where am I struggling to hand over to you in my life or in others around me? Where am I hesitant? Where am I, where am I even rebellious at times? Would you soften my heart? Would you melt me like wax? Would you continue to do a work in me for my sake and for others around me? And Jesus, lastly, would you make us so bold as a church to believe that you could use us, imperfect, flawed people, to change eternity in others' lives. That you would use us, as you say, as your tools to go out into this community into our neighborhoods this week, the kids' camp this week, the camps later this summer, wherever it might be, would we be so bold, we believe so much to believe that you are and can soften more hearts, change more lives. So would we not keep quiet, but would we open our mouths as you open and do a work in our hearts? So Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being the word. And we pray all of these things, Jesus, in your amazing name. Amen.